You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message, and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, great to be with you guys today. I also want to welcome those of you that are worshiping with us online. And before we get into the Bible study today, what do you say we pray and we ask God by his spirit to connect with our hearts today? If you're comfortable to do so, put your hand out in a position to receive from the Lord as we pray together. And so God, as we come before you, we say we are open to what you're going to say to us through your holy inspired word Please use that knucklehead, Pastor Doug, to speak to us through your word, and we ask it in the powerful name of Jesus, and for his sake, everyone said, amen, amen. Well, does anybody besides me remember that movie, Office Space? Anybody remember Office Space? It was kind of a precursor to the TV show, The Office, and the main character that you can see on screen is a guy named Peter Gibbons, and I remember one scene when Peter was sitting in his apartment, he was talking to a friend of his, and the friend asked him, Peter, what would you do if you had a million bucks? And here's what Peter said. He said, nothing. I'd relax. I'd sit up around all day and do nothing. You ever feel like wanting to do that? And then I guess another quote from Peter uh, that was more popular on the show was when he said, it's not that I'm lazy, it's just that I don't care, okay? Uh, and certainly I can see why Peter felt that way because he was working for this company that really was pointless and he was working in this kind of very sterile corporate environment where he didn't see any sense of purpose in what he was doing. And you know, I, we, we, we would call this, uh, a therapist would call this, a motivational syndrome syndrome and a motivational syndrome is often associated with smoking weed eating cheetos and sitting around in your sweatpants you know uh, but i don't think it's limited to that and my sense is is that a lot of people are experiencing a motivational syndrome because they felt really emotionally beat down by the events of last year and i think a lot of people have lost their inner fire and today, I want to, through the scriptures, encourage you with some inner fire from God's word. Now, I want to, to give you a little disclaimer here, because some of the verses I'm going to read to you are, at first glance, are not going to seem encouraging, but they are. And here's the way God is. God is like a great chef. Um, he takes the ingredients of your life, and then he puts them to the fire and cooks them and heats them up to transform them into something altogether different. And so if you feel the heat of the fire from the verses that I read to you today, just know that God is a great chef and he's cooking up something good in your life today through his word. And so with that in mind, I want to ask you, have you lost your inner fire? Have you lost your inner passion. You know, we all get passionate about all kinds of different things, don't we? Um, particularly, we see the heat in our dating lives. Some of you in your dating lives, some of you wish you had more heat in your dating life. But I remember back when I was dating, you know, many, many years ago, and in college, I met my wife, Jeannie, and before we were dating, before we were married, any of that, um, I you know, I thought she was, speaking of heat, I thought she was hot, man. And so uh, I had this inner passion, this inner drive to want to woo her and draw her to myself to get her to date me and then later to marry me. I mean, it was like that Johnny Cash song, Burning Ring of Fire, man. I just, <laughs> I was really uh, passionate about her. We have all kinds of things that light up our passions. And one of the things that always interests me is that I'll see guys that, are wanting to date a girl, that a hot chick that goes to church, you know, and that guy's all of a sudden all about church, right? He wants to come and be a part. Um, and, you know, when we think about being on fire, we think about musicians, maybe a rap artist or maybe a rock band or any type of performer. When they're on stage performing with skill and passion, we like to say that that artist is on fire, right? Or maybe if you're a sports person and you see a, a, a quarterback that's playing really well, maybe a quarterback that's probably not playing for the Dallas Cowboys, is it he, he, he's playing with skill and he's playing with passion. And we say that quarterback, he's completing a lot of passes. He's on 
on fire. Or if you watch basketball and you see someone uh, making a lot of shots, you know, doing really well, uh, playing with some passion, that guy is said to be playing, uh, he's on fire, right? Uh, and I want to ask you, are you on fire for anything right now? Is there any sense of passion in your life? And particularly, I'm asking you about your spiritual life and your relationship to God. Are you on fire right now? Or are you like what Jesus said in the last days? He says, the love of many will grow cold. Is that you? Is your heart cold towards the things of God right now? And so I want to ask you, can God recharge your inner fire today? And some of you would say, yeah, I'm cold and I need my inner fire to be recharged. And then others of you say, no, I'm fired up for God right now. Well, is it possible that even though you're already fired up for God, that maybe he would pour spiritual gasoline on that fire and intensify it, not just in you, but in our entire church, that we would be ablaze for the things of God, that we would be a people of passion for God on fire for him. And the reason that we should be is because the Bible tells us in Hebrews, look at chapter 12, verse 29. It says, God is a consuming fire. If you have God in your heart, in your life, he is a fire and he translates that fire into you and through you to a hurting world. Now, since we're in our annual 21 days of prayer and Fasting, we're asking God to set our hearts on fire. I thought I would read a book um, on prayer. And I came across this really great book by Fred Hartley. It's called Prayer on Fire. And so if you uh, are a reader, um, I would encourage you to get this book on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. If you will read this book and you can't afford the book, by all means, let us know and we'll buy the book for you if you would like it. Um, and we're reading this because during this 21 days, we're asking God for uh, our hearts and our prayers to be on fire. And one of the things that we understand is that we can't manufacture the fire. You know what I'm saying by that? Have you ever gone to a church service and it felt like a bunch of hype, right? Uh, that's not what this is about. So because we can't manufacture it, we, we are earnestly going to God in prayer and we're saying, hey, God, we're not just praying, but we're fasting from all kinds of stuff. So some people are going without all food. Some people are going without maybe their social media or just coffee or meat or bread or sweets or whatever, you know, or doing all kinds of combinations of, of fasting during these 21 days because we want God to light us on fire. And in addition to the fasting, we're adding three, as Joe mentioned earlier, we're adding three awaken services on Tuesday nights, both online and here in person in the cameo, where we're going to be asking God for fresh fillings of the Holy Spirit. We're going to be praying earnestly and asking God to heal our city and heal our land of COVID-19. We're going to be praying for elected officials because God knows they need our prayers right now, don't they? So we're going to be praying and asking God to do great things in our lives, in our hearts, in our church. And we know that God wants to give us the fire in our hearts because if you just do a cursory reading through the Bible, you'll see God revealing himself in and through the fire to many different Bible characters. Go back to Abraham when he met God in the fire, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch. And then you see how Moses met God in the burning bush, the fire. We see Israel was led through the wilderness by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. We see when Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel and God brought down his fire that consumed the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and even the water in the moat surrounding the pile of wood. We see how Paul said, do not put out the Spirit's Fire, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is like a fire that's ablaze. And then we see how John the Baptist said, One is coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that's why for the past month, Pastor Lee and Robbie have been talking to us about the Holy Spirit, where uh, Pastor Lee said, live by the power of Jesus in dwelling spirit. And if we get that one thing right, the fire 
of the Holy Spirit will take care of itself. If we just live by the power of Jesus' indwelling spirit, we'll experience the fire, the passion of God in our hearts and in our lives. And we're fasting and praying for the fire, and we're asking the Holy Spirit to give us something real, not hype. Remember earlier we said we can't manufacture it. And that's why I like this quote from Erwin McManus. He said, sometimes we forget that God is fire. We confuse him with fireplaces and fireworks. You know what I mean? Um, and so we're not looking for some hype or something that is contrived, but we're looking for something that is real. And the study of fire that we're going to do in the Bible today is the story of Isaiah and his calling where he experienced the fire of God. Now, what we're going to do is I'm going to tell you the story uh, in my own words, and then we'll go back and break the story down verse by verse. Okay, so um, as Isaiah recorded it, he said, it was like in the year that you, King Uzziah died. And so I like how Bible characters uh, reference historical events because they're talking about history and things that are real, not like make-believe kinds of stories. And in this year, Isaiah was in prayer. And as he was in prayer, he had an experience of God. And it's like he experienced the bright, brilliant, powerful presence of the living God. And as he did, he saw all these angels and creatures that he called seraphim there. And the intensity of God's presence was such that some of these seraphim, these angels, like actually had to use their wings to cover their eyes and cover their feet because the intensity of the presence of God uh, was all around them. And there was smoke that filled the temple. And Isaiah was, uh, was so impacted by the brilliance and the holiness of the presence of God that he said, hey, look, I'm doomed in the presence of someone this great, this brilliant, this holy. I am doomed. And just when he thought he was going to be utterly destroyed by the brilliance and presence of God, one of the seraphim took a hot coal and came towards him because Isaiah had said, I am a, I'm a man of unclean lips and I'm amongst a people of unclean lips. And the, the, the angel took the hot coal and singed Isaiah's lips with it. And then he said, your sins are forgiven. And by the way, if you read the story, you'll notice that God never told him he was doomed. Isaiah realized that the presence of God could potentially doom him, but the seraphim brought the coal and burned his lips and said, your sins are forgiven. And the only thing God says in that passage is, who will go for us? And then here's the famous line. Isaiah says, here am I. You can send me. Here am I. I I'm not saying no to you. <laughs> here am I. You can send me. Now, let's go back verse by verse, and break down the story from the beginning. And one of the first things we're going to see in this story and in this text is that the fire exposes our sinfulness. And if you go back and look at verse 5, it says, Then I said, or Isaiah said, it's all over. Remember, he said, I'm doomed, for I am a sinful man, and I have filthy lips, and live among a people with filthy Lips. That's what he says. Now, I don't know why Isaiah said that he had filthy lips and the people of Israel had filthy lips. Maybe it's because they cussed too much. Maybe it's because they gossip too much. But I do know that in the New Testament of the Bible, James picks up on the words that we say when James says that the tongue, what we say itself, is set on fire by hell. With the tongue, we praise the Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in God's image. But Isaiah, as he is exposed to the fiery presence of God, what he realizes is the seriousness of his situation. He was keenly aware of the potential wrath uh, and judgment of God. Now, before I start talking about the wrath and judgment of God as it relates to you and I, I want to stop just for a minute with a disclaimer. I want you to understand why I'm sharing this with you. I'm not mad at anyone. Um, I love you guys. I love you, tribe online and here in the room. In fact, I want you to make a declaration out loud with me. And it's the, simply this. Pastor Doug loves me and he's picking to tell me. 
okay? You know what I mean by that? Okay, here it is. We'll put it on screen, and, and on three, we'll say it together. Ready? One, two, three. Pastor Doug loves me, and he's picking to tell me, okay? And if you say picking right, it's like F-I- C-K-E-N. Okay, that's how we said it back in Oklahoma. You know what I'm saying? So I love you, and that is why I want to tell you these things. So don't misunderstand and think my heart is anything other than to see God's best for your life. And particularly those of you who are of younger generations, older generations who are trying to indoctrinate you with a certain philosophical viewpoint have told you that you have to have what's called safe spaces. We know about safe spaces, right? These designated areas where content that could provoke negative feelings is banned. And so you have to be separated from people who disagree with you because it might offend you. Well, what I've found with Generation Z and younger generations is that you can handle the truth. You want the truth. You want people to be straightforward, but there are other adults in your life that are trying to make you sissies and not be able to have exchange and dialogue with other people who disagree with you or things that might potentially offend you. And those of you that are spiritual investigators, um, what I want you to understand is that I'm going to be very straightforward with you because what you don't need is another pastor in the world to just tell you a sugar-coated, watered-down version of Jesus. I think you want the truth. I think you can handle the truth of who Jesus is. And if you're going to reject Jesus, I at least want you to reject the Jesus of the Bible. And so here's what I want you to understand is that the Bible tells us that we're all sinners. Okay. Now, for some of you, you've been very wounded in your life. And you, you have these inner wounds and uh, struggles from having been abused in, in every different way. But what we're seeing in the passage that we're studying today is not Isaiah talking about his own inner wounds. We're seeing Isaiah in the presence of a holy God who realizes that he himself is the perpetrator. He comes to a realization of what the Bible tells us in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. And when it talks about death there, what it's not talking about is just at the end of your lifetime when you pass away or you fall asleep. But that death there is talking about the second death that we'll see later and the second death is hell. That's what it is. And when Isaiah gets in the direct presence of God, what he realizes is that he deserves hell because of his sin. And today is about us acknowledging our sinfulness. It's not about just being healed of our wounds because the way to healing from our wounds is not sweeping our sin under the rug, but it's about having our sin exposed so that God can deal with it. And so this concept of hell in the Bible is something that's very real. And when you think of hell, what is it that comes to your mind? Because some people would say, well, you know, hell is not a reality. And other people would say that, you know, hell is just going to be a party where people can do whatever they want. And other people would say hell is not something in the afterlife, but hell is just on earth, you know, and the problems and suffering of this life. And then other people would say that hell is like, you know, country music being on repeat for over and over again for all of eternity. And that makes a lot of sense to me, that definition of hell. But what does Jesus say hell is and what it's about. Well, he describes it. So let's just get it straight from Jesus. Okay. And I know everybody likes to think of Jesus as loving and caring. And certainly he is. But he had a lot to say about hell. Let me show you what he said in Mark chapter 9. We're going to look at verse 43. Uh, where he describes hell as the unquenchable fires of hell. He says that people would be thrown into hell. He describes this place where the worm never dies and the fire never goes out. This is the fire of God. And it's a real place where real people go because of their own sin. And if you don't know God, I'm not trying to be rude by telling you this, and this is the part that's not palatable for some of you, but if you don't have relationship with God through Jesus Christ, 
according to the Bible, it's not me, don't, don't shoot the messenger. It says you go to hell. And it says you deserve to go to hell because of your sin. And here's what you gotta understand about God is that he doesn't just sweep sin under the rug. He doesn't just blow it off because not only is he a God of love, but he is a God of justice. And so here's how we can kind of think about it. Some of you remember 2017, the Sutherland Springs church shooting. And on screen, you can see the victims, some of the victims of this church shooting. And the shooter, Devin Kelly, fatally shot 26 people. He wounded 20 others during the mass shooting. Some of them were children. Some of them were teenagers. Now, what if that guy would have survived? And what if he would have gone before the authorities and they just said, well, let's just blow it off. We'll just forgive it because we're people of grace, right? So let's just blow it off, sweep it under the rug, no big deal, let's just go on life as usual. Would that feel right to you? It wouldn't. Because we all know there has to be a sense of justice for these people. And so as you think about God, what about the sins that you've committed? And today I'm thinking about the sins that I have committed. We have offended God. And we just read that all have turned away from God. All have sinned. And at this point, I think we all have to kind of look in the mirror about our sin. And when it comes to our sin, there are no excuses. There's no blaming mom or dad for my sin. There's no blaming the people that have wounded me in my life or the people that have harmed me or hurt me or offended me. When I stand before God, it's on me. When you stand before God, it is on you. And there will be no one there to give you excuses for what you have done that sin against God. Because my sin is what I'll account for before almighty God of the universe. And today, look, most pastors talk about this. They don't talk about this. Most churches are not talking about this part of the Bible. And here's what they'll say. They'll say, well, we're not going to talk about judgment or hell or any of those parts of God. Because after all, that's kind of Old Testament stuff. And they'll say, look, in the Old Testament, that's where we see God's anger, God's wrath, judgment, all that kind of stuff. But in the New Testament, all we see is grace and love. Well, let's put that theory to the test just for a minute, okay? I'm going to read to you a few verses from the New Testament. You tell me if the New Testament has anything to say about God's judgment and justice. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. And it says, when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven, he will come with his mighty angels, verse 8, in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of the Lord Jesus. And then look over in Hebrews, which is in the New Testament. The author of Hebrews says that people who ultimately blow off the opportunity for God's grace, here's what he says happens in Hebrews 10, 20, Seven, that there's no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. And there is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. And then if you fast forward to the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, it says, then death in the grave were thrown into the lake of what? Fire. This lake of fire is the second death that we talked about earlier. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, this is Revelation. This is the last book of the Bible. It doesn't get any more New Testament than Revelation, the last book of the Bible here. See, and so it's true that we are under the new covenant in the New Testament. It's true that God is a God of love, a God of grace and a God of mercy. But the reason that his grace is so special and precious is because his wrath 
is so fierce. And we've been rescued, those who have believed in Jesus, from the fierceness of his wrath. And we don't take it for granted. And when we say, I've received the grace of God in my life, we don't just think that God somehow swept it under the rug or blew off our sin, but he did something about it when he brought his own wrath on Jesus Christ when he died on the cross to die for the penalty for our sin. And look, if all the stuff that the Bible says about hell is true, and there are really people there right now, what do you think they would do for the opportunity that you have right now in these moments? Do you think they would take advantage of that opportunity if they had the opportunity to do so? And that's why I want to kind of stop the service mid-teaching. I've got a lot more stuff to talk about, but I have a sense of urgency about this for you. Because perhaps God brought you on this service stream or into this room today that you would begin a relationship with him through Jesus Christ and avoid the future fire of his wrath and experience the grace of God. And there's no reason you can't do that right now. And we're not going to have any mood music right now to get you in the mood to do that. But if you would like to believe in Jesus right now, just pray with your eyes open. You don't even have to close your eyes, but in your, in your mind, God is so powerful that you can read your thoughts. You just pray it in your mind. You just say, look, God, I know I've sinned. I know, like Isaiah, I'm a person. I'm a man or a woman of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And God, I want you to know, I know I've sinned. I know I need you. I know I don't deserve heaven someday. I don't deserve your love and your grace, but I receive it. And God, I choose to believe the best I know how and understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross to take your wrath upon himself on my behalf. So I receive that right now in Jesus' name. And so today, um, we're studying this story of Isaiah from the Old Testament. And so some people would say, well, is there any passage in the New Testament, because we're under the New Covenant now, right, um, that encourages people or that really challenges believers who know God to recognize the seriousness of their situation. And, and I'm going to read to you a verse that I think is very important for us today because I think that a lot of believers these days, especially because of the emphasis of most pastors in the entire world, a lot of believers are taking the grace of God for granted and thinking that it, it, it's, it's no big deal. Yeah. Well, it is, it's a huge deal. And so let me read to you this passage, and I want you to evaluate your life in light of this passage from Revelation 3. Look at verse 15. Through 18. And this is where Jesus says, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And he says, when you're not hot or cold, when you're lukewarm, he wants to spit you, literal translation, vomit, hurl you out of his mouth. And he says, you say, here's what Americans say. You say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing because I can just order it on Amazon. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That is the spiritual condition of many Americans. And he says, so I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold that's been purified by what? Fire, see, by the fire. Does that verse speak anything to you about the inner fire of your heart? It does to me. And so let's go back to, I've been on this rabbit trail too long. Let's go back to Isaiah for just a minute. So what happened next with Isaiah? Well, look at verse six, Isaiah 6, 6. Then one of the seraphim or one of the angel type creatures flew to me with a burning coal that he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. So the fire, here it is. He touched my lips with it. And he said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. God has this angel touch Isaiah in one of the most sensitive places of his life. Your lips are sensitive. That's why we kiss each other with lips, you know? Um, and God... When, the, when you get near the fire, he touches you sometimes at the most sensitive place 
of your life. But when he touches you there, this verse shows us the intent that God had throughout the whole story. Because remember I said, God didn't say to Isaiah, you're doomed. Isaiah just assumed that. But what God's heart all along was to do, his intention was to see that the guilt would be removed and that the sins would be forgiven. And please know, friend, that that is God's heart intention for you, see, that your sins be forgiven. The fire purifies you, like John says here in, uh, you know, Revelation. It's the weight of the world lifted from your shoulders. You've already realized the weight of your own sin, that it presses you down, but it's released when you're forgiven. And here Isaiah realizes that he deserved the worst hell, but God has completely forgiven him. And he feels a sense of relief from this. So what did this lead to in Isaiah's life? We'll look at the next verse. We'll look at verse eight. He says, then I heard the Lord asking, whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. And so in light of this text, what I want you to see, according to what Isaiah has experienced, is that those who get singed, get sent. Did you catch that? Those who get singed by the fire, get sent to those in the world that need it. Now, here's how this has played out in my personal life. Is that most of you who are here, who have been here for a few years, know, if you, in case you haven't, been here for a while. Um, I spent some years out of the ministry uh, about 20 years ago or so. And the reason I had to spend some time out of the ministry is because my life was screwed up, right? I had to get my life straight with God before I could, you know, be in the ministry and do it right. And so uh, when I, God did a great work in my life, he changed my heart and life and helped me get free of some stuff. And, uh, and, and so, you know, church... Our church invited me back into the ministry those many years ago. And when I got back in, I was debating in my mind about how much I would talk openly about my past sins and struggles. Because I thought to myself, you know, if they, they know all the real stuff, the real sins that I've committed, right, in, in my past, they're not going to listen to me and they're not going to like me and they're going to throw tomatoes and they're going to get a, you know, a lynch mob together to get me out of here, right? Um, but then I thought to myself, what do I got to lose, you know? I mean, I'll just go back to the marketplace and make more money anyway. Um, but what I knew was that God wanted me to share the real stuff, if you know what I mean. Not like the fake transparency, but like the embarrassing stuff. You know the difference, right? I mean, you've heard, you know, the Christian radio station and the DJ gets on there and he says, oh, I skipped my quiet time this morning. I feel so guilty and shameful, you know? I'm being so transparent with you. You're like, come on, man, tell us the real, tell us what's really going on in your life. Okay, come on. Well, I just, I just said to the Lord, I'm embarrassed to do this, God, to stand up in a room full of people and talk about all my stuff. But here am I, send me. And God, look, I'm fully aware that I'm a man of unclean lips and I'm amongst the people of unclean lips. But here am I, send me. And I was committed to do this, not knowing what would happen. And I remember one Sunday before I would, you know, walk out to give a little talk, one of the church elders put his hand on my shoulder and he prayed. And when he prayed, when he touched my shoulder, this is a weird experience. I know it's going to sound weird to some of you. I felt heat going through his hands, his hand. It was on my shoulder. It's heat. I wondered if that was the fire of God. And I went out in that service and others after that service. And I shared all my embarrassing stuff, you know, not knowing if people would want me out of there. And I was surprised to find out that people actually embraced it because they were, they were finally glad that someone would tell them the truth. They were finally glad that someone would be honest with them. And look, sins don't get burned away until they're exposed. Do you want to expose it yourself or would you rather God expose it for you? Because I can assure you the second way God exposing it for you is harder. Harder. 
Our sins are all going to get exposed someday. And I remember back in those days when I gave those talks and shared my stuff, it created an environment in our church where people could feel okay about sharing what was really going on in their lives. And look, our world doesn't need a bunch of church people who are pretending to be perfect. They need a bunch of honest people who have been singed by the fire of God and had their sins burned away because he who's been singed gets sent. Now, here's how I want to illustrate this. There was a guy, I'm going to show you a picture of him on screen. Uh, this is a guy named Bob Harrington. And in this picture, he was speaking back in the 70s at a halftime show at the San Antonio Spurs game, back in the old arena. And this guy was evidently a really powerful communicator. He was on talk shows, on television. He was a really powerful communicator of God's word. Um, according to the Express News archives, I mean, the people in the audience at halftime at a Spurs game were spellbound by listening to this man speak. He debated Madeline Murray O'Hare, a popular atheist back in those days, um, live, you know, many, many times. And he was most known as being the chaplain of Bourbon Street um, in New Orleans. So in New Orleans, you know, down, in, you know, where Mardi Gras happens and Bourbon Street, where all kinds of crazy stuff is happening. This guy, Bob Harrington, he was the chaplain there. He would share Christ in that environment, which would today be a hard thing to do and was very hard to do back in those days in the 70s. But Bob tells the story of one night when he was traveling back to New Orleans uh, from another part of Louisiana. He was going over the Lake Pontchartrain Causeway. Now, if you've ever been to New Orleans, uh, you would know. You've perhaps been over that causeway. It is the longest bridge in the world. I mean, I've seen it from an aerial view in an, in an airplane, and it just seems to continue to go on. It's like 24 miles long. So Bob was going over the Lake Pontchartrain Causeway at night, and he was going from Slidell back into New Orleans. And at that time, it was only a two-way bridge. It wasn't, you know, four lanes. It was just two-way. And what Bob happened to know in the back of his mind is that on one side of that bridge was a parish prison. And on the other side of that bridge was an insane asylum. And he had this in mind uh, as he was driving over the bridge at night. I'm sure it was kind of creepy. When all of a sudden Bob sees in front of him a guy in tattered clothes waving his arms, waving down. And Bob's thinking, is the guy escaped from the prison or is the guy escaped from the mental institution, you know? And so as he's driving up, the guy like jumps in front of him and waving his arms, stop, stop, stop. And Bob tries to swerve and go to the left around him. The guy jumps in front of him again, waves, stop, stop, stop. And Bob's kind of a big guy and he finally gets fed up. So he gets out of his car. He goes up to this man in the tattered clothes. He grabs him by the shirt. And he says, why won't you let me by? And the guy said, sir, I was in a bus and the bridge is out ahead. And I was the only one to survive, to come back and warn you of the danger that's ahead. And look, city tribe, we are, as a church, we are, the men in the tattered clothes. We are the people that this world, they'll think we're crazy or something. But we're here to share with them our brokenness and warn them of a future judgment that they don't have to experience. The bridge is out ahead. And we're here to be a prophetic voice to share with our world that they can escape the danger ahead through the grace of God and the cross of Jesus Christ. And so look, um, the fire is not about making you feel emotion, but it's about creating motion for God's kingdom. The fire 
is not about getting the emotional chills, but it's about us getting changed. The fire is not about hype, but it's about becoming help for people who need the grace of God in their lives. And there's someone that he's sending you to that only you can go to. I can't go to him. And no one else in this room or on this streaming video can go to them, but only you can. And it's because of your past, your past of having unclean lips and what you've gone through in your life. Look, some of you were addicted to drugs. And so you're going to understand those who are dealing with that right now in a way that others cannot. Some of you are artists and you can understand the artist's mind like others cannot. Some of you have cheated on your spouse or have been cheated on by a spouse. And so you can help others who are going through something similar. Some of you have learned to handle money, maybe through hard circumstances with money. And so you can help others who need that help. Some of you have been to prison or you've been abused or you've wasted hours staring at porn on a screen or you've been hurt by your parents, by your siblings or by your very own kids. Some of you have lost a loved one and know what that feels like. And you can go to those who need your story to help them. And I'm asking, will you go? God says, who will go for us? Now, before you get excited and say, yeah, I'm going to go. I want to do this. I want you to understand it is lonely to really go. Most will not do it. And look, I fully understand that most people are going to forget this talk. Like a lot of my talks have been totally forgotten. But will you be the one to go? Will you dare to allow God to light your inner fire? And if the answer is yes, I'm going to ask you to do something kind of bold. Those of you that are in this room, I'm going to ask you to stand up from your feet, come and kneel at the front and say, God, please light the fire inside of me. I'm willing to go. If you're sitting at home, I want to ask you, I know this is going to sound weird because family members might see you get up from the couch and literally kneel down in the living room in front of your TV or your laptop or your pad or whatever you're watching on. But we can't be sent unless we get humble. We can't be singed to be sent if we're not willing to humble ourselves before God. Look, I understand this is not for everyone. This is not hype. (laughs) But I want to ask you to humble yourself and come and kneel before God and say, look, I want to be sent. I want to be sent. So as the band sings, let's stand together. And some of you, If you're one of the ones who's willing to go, I want you to come and kneel and say, God, light the fire in me so that I can go by the power of your spirit. Let's pray. Here 
for eternity we want to be lost in you lost in your love and your grace and your mercy and we do not take it for granted and as a tribe we come together before you and we humble ourselves before you and we say look we we've been people of unclean lips and when we read your word God we see that the Bible says should we continue in sin so that grace might increase? By no means. We've died to sin, so how can we live it any longer? And so, God, the best we know how, we come before you. And we ask you, by your Holy Spirit, to touch our lips with the burning coals to singe us. And we will go. If you need someone to go, if you're saying who will go for us, we say, here we are. Send us. And we will be the people who will go with honesty and transparency about where we are and where we've been to a hurting world that needs to hear of your grace, love, and mercy. So light our hearts on fire. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. We're glad you were part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.